The countdown to the Orange Bowl is on. Here we go. Oklahoma. Looking deep. Yet to throw. Now takes a shot down the middle. Cal Katerra's there. He's got it. It's a touchdown. Oh, Alabama. Tua fakes the give. Looks and finds a man loose and across the middle. Jacobs makes the grab at the 10. Breaks a tackle to the 5. He is in. Touchdown, Alabama. College Blue Bloods on a quest for another national championship. This is Crimson Conversations, presented by Academy Sports and Outdoors, proud partners of the Oklahoma Sooners and Alabama Crimson Tide. The right stuff, the right price. Academy. Our Crimson Conversations continue with the sideline gurus, I guess, if you will. Uh, He is one of the great safeties in Alabama football history. Rashad Johnson has uh, jumped on board and has been a phenomenal sideline reporter on the Alabama Crimson Tide radio network, and he joins us. Uh, Rashad, what's the adjustment been like for you, uh, becoming an analyst doing the reporting work down on the field? Have you liked it? Yeah, Chris, man, I've I've enjoyed it, man. First of all, thank you for having me on the show today, man. But, um, yeah, it's been a great transition, you know, opportunity to stay close to the game, uh, you know, still get a little bit of the, the butterflies and the juices flowing, you know, as, as you're watching each and every play, just uh, waiting for your opportunity to input. But it, it's been great, man. Like I said, you stay close to the game. You stay close to the guys. Um, I think it's been, you know, a, a perfect transition for me um, just to get someone who's played the game to give a different, you know, insight um, on what's going on, on plays that are happening and giving, a, you know, the listeners uh, an opportunity to get a little bit more in-depth information about what's going on with the Crimson Tide, man. So it's been great, man. I've I've loved it. One of the cool things I I dig about being down there is the unique perspective we get. Uh, Obviously, you understand a lot more of the language, and I think 999.9% of people that could be down there on the sidelines. But what's what's the attitude usually on the sideline? Is it businesslike? Is it it energetic? Is it trying to fire guys up? What's usually kind of the vibe on the Crimson Tide sideline? Um, it's a little bit of both, man. Uh, you know, there, there's guys who are designated just to fire guys up. And I would say those are more of, you know, the, the strength and conditioning, you know, weightlifting uh, type staff that are there on the sideline that are part of the game day. You know, Scott Cochran is huge in that. A guy named uh, Tyler Owens, you know, T.O. we call him, is huge at doing those things as well. We have, you know, the turnover belt, things to get the guys motivated and excited and, and energetic. But there's also a, a business you know, calmness to what everything is done and approach to how things are handled. You know, each and every series, they come to the sideline, they sit down and, you know, the the, the, the white chalkboards are brought out and they begin to diagnose everything that goes on the play in the series, you know, before on defense and they do the same on offense. So there's definitely a real uh, strategy to it, a business-like approach on the sideline, but there's also guys in between to make it fun, to get the guys' juices flowing early on, man, to make sure that, you know, we got our, our, our motor going, ready to go. And, and I don't think, you know, either team will have a problem uh, come the 29th on having their motor and energy going with such a big game that we have ahead of us. Yeah, no kidding, man. You, uh, <laughs> you were there from day one of the Nick Saban era. In fact, you were, you were on campus. You were, what, a sophomore whenever he came in? Is that right? Yeah, I was going into my junior season. Oh. Yeah, so saw redshirt sophomore about to be his redshirt junior um, as he was coming into the season that year. Yeah. So you saw you, you witnessed this grow from the foundation up. How different is Nick Saban in 2018 heading into 2019 as he was in 2007 when he took over? <laughs> um, not not much has changed in a, in sense of 
of the approach day to day, um, the way he he does things, the way he approaches his weeks of, of game planning, uh, putting things in and how we practice day to day. Um, he's definitely got, you know, a little bit different. I, I guess the I don't want to say he's gotten softer because <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, I guess you can say a little bit. But I, I think that's just the day and age that we're in. You know, I think he's adapted to the culture of, you know, the the, the new age, uh, you know, teenager. Um, you know, they come in a little bit different than, than, than they were a little bit back then. Um, and I think he's done a great job of, of adapting the way that he understands that each person has to be, you know, sometimes there's individual ways of handling certain guys. And I think he does a great job of that. But as far as the day-to-day approach of how we do things, um, it hasn't changed. I mean, he's stuck to the process since 2007 till now. It was one of the things that I told my wife, you know, when I got the job and got an opportunity to go back, I'm an intern in the weight room as well. So I get a chance to be around the building, you know, quite a bit, you know, just seeing coach, you know, now 11 years removed from when I was there, you know, to see him, on the on the grind that he's on consistently day after day it you know it relit a fire under me man to to see a guy who's that consistent who's achieved so much and and there's no no ounce of complacency in him i mean when they're talking about grinding he's the top grinder in the building so i mean it, it's remarkable to watch man um it's a, a i'm humbled to actually have you know been there from the beginning and now get opportunity to be a part of it again man so it's a really special place, man, and, and nothing much has changed when I say the day-to-day approach. But, you know, sometimes you got to handle things a little differently than you would 10 years ago. And I, I think that just shows the genius of who he is and learning how to adapt to, to the season that he's in and the culture that we have now as a team. I keep hearing this narrative, Rashad, about the secondary. And I don't get it because I watch this Alabama secondary and it's one of the best I've seen all year. I look at mock drafts and I see guys in this secondary that are getting drafted. But yet, whenever I hear people try to find a problem with with Alabama's defense, they point at the secondary. I mean, I I think they're they're crazy. Am I wrong? Uh, no, not at all, man. I, we, we definitely have a, a great group of guys, you know, in our secondary. And I think, you know, the reason why people want to point at that is because, I mean, we've had a few injuries here and there. Um, you know, a lot of guys were removed from the team last year. It's not the familiar faces that you that you saw on last year's team. So that's just one area that, that people can point at and say, you know, this is a new unit. They haven't been there before. They haven't done it before. So we're going to say they're the weak link. But I think, man, these guys have stepped up to the challenge each and every week uh, throughout this season. I think to this point, they've proven themselves, you know, that you can't point and say that this is, you know, the weak link of the group. I mean, they've played well all season. Um, and, I, and I expect them to do the same, you know, coming on 29th. But, you know, I think that's the reason why everybody wants to point the finger. Mika Fitzpatrick, you know, leaves. Running Harrison leaves. You know, Deontay Thompson is the only true returning starter. So now they're thinking we got to fill three or four holes, man. And I think, you know, Xavier McKinney, a first-year starter, has just blown up as a, as a safety, as a blitzer in the nickel packages. Shaheem Carter, Jr., you know, Savion Smith, you know, a guy that was, you know, benched early in the season now coming in and playing terrific that since Trayvon Diggs is, is injured um, and not to mention Pat Sertain Jr. I mean, this guy's a true freshman playing outside of his mind, man. So I think we got a talented group across the board. And I think guys, you know, just want to point at that group because it's a new group. But I think they've gelled together and they found their camaraderie as a unit and they do a great job, man. I, I can't complain about the season that they've had at all. Where's the strength of this defense? Is it that interior with the potential number two pick in the draft and a potential top 15 pick? Yeah, I definitely think it would have to be the interior up front. I mean, you know, Quentin Williams is, I mean, he blew up on the scene. You know, guys kind of had a buzz to think that he would, could be a good player, but no one 
knew he could be the, you know, unanimous All-American, the Benderic Award winner that he is. Um, but he's just a humble kid, man, that works hard each and every day. And we got, you know, Raekwon Davis that's playing, you know, playing well for us. Isaiah Bugs, you know, leading the SEC in sacks this season. I would definitely say our front is, uh, is, a, is a driving force for this team. But at the same time, man, we got a, a great group of, you know, linebackers. And I, I'll have to say the secondary, man, as well. You know, we don't give up too many big plays. And I think that's something that, you know, Oklahoma strives off of is the big play. So that's going to be a, a huge factor in this game on the 29th. Which which end is going to budge? Is it going to be the secondary, you know, giving up the big plays, or is it going to be Oklahoma not being able to produce those big plays? I think that's going to be a big part in this game coming up on the 29th. You know, what's impressed me about Kyler Murray this year, Rashad, is how yeah. calm and cool he is. There doesn't really seem mm-hmm. to be too much that bothers him. He's he's a competitor. He's a fighter. I, I dig watching him. How would you approach trying to stop a guy as explosive as Kyler? Oh, man. I wish I wouldn't have to watch any film on him. This guy is – I mean, he, like you said, he's unbelievable. Uh, I hadn't had a chance to watch him just because of the, you know, the day-to-day that we oh, yeah. do here. We kind of just be focused in. And now that we have him as an opponent, I remember when I first went in and started watching film, I was just – I was wild the entire time. You know, five, ten plays in a row, you're just sitting there watching this guy – He's calm. Like you said, there's no there's no moment that's too big for him. He knows when to pull it down and run it. Um, he's not looking to run it every time. He's, you know, floating around in the pocket trying to wait for his guys to get open and he can make all the throws, man. So if it was me approaching this guy, you know, I, I would try and, you know, hopefully rattle him early, um, get as many guys to the ball. I mean, because you can't tackle him one on one. We have to get, you know, 10, 11 guys rallying to the ball to make sure that, you know, we're getting some hits on him early and, and try and keep him in the pocket to throw over our guys. You know, we got, like you said, Quentin Williams inside. Raekwon Davis is a tall guy inside. If we can push the, the pocket on the corners with Anthony Jennings, Isaiah Bugs, and keep him in the pocket and hopefully force him to be able to make those throws over the top. You know, they try and say that, you know, Drew Brees is a short guy. He can't make the throws in the pocket. You know, hopefully – but we've seen that he can, you know, so Kyler Murray, we're trying to say maybe he's the same thing, a little bit too short, can't make the throws in the pocket. Maybe we can force the pocket and keep him in there and, and make him try and make those difficult throws. But as you watch the film over and over again, he's been able to make those as well, man. So he's a guy that won the Heisman for a reason because he's, he's that special. Rashad, you've got a great story. I mean, uh, basically, you were a walk-on. You fought, you scratched, you clawed, you put yourself in a position to where you were a third-round pick and had yourself one heck of an NFL career. So mm-hmm. uh, w- with that in mind, you can kind of understand the underdog mentality. Um, with that said, does it spark anything extra in Bama when they see Oklahoma winning the awards, winning the Heisman, when they see Oklahoma winning the Joe Moore Award? Sure, the Sooners can play that underdog role, and you know it well, but mm-hmm. is that kind of maybe neutralized whenever you have so many individuals beating out Bama individuals for postseason awards? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's kind of a neutralized thing, man, and I don't, I don't think – you know, either of these teams are underdogs. I mean, it's just the number one and the number four. You know, they got a, a you know a ranking, but if you look at them across the board, I mean, it's going to be a, a a really good matchup all the way across. You know, offensively, you guys got explosive players everywhere. It's going to cause some one-on-one matchups and, and force us to have to make the plays. And you guys got guys that can win those plays, and you know, we have the same as well. Um, I you know, I think there isn't truly a, a underdog in this game. I know the the media and the and, you know, sports and everyone else want to say that Oklahoma, you know, is considered an underdog. But, I mean, we're talking about a team that's throwing, you know, 45, 50 points a game. 
Um, you know, hopefully our defense can hold them to less than that and be able to, to score the points that we score week in and week out. So, I, I, you know, I think it's kind of an evenly matched game. I think, you know, the awards going to Oklahoma, like you said, winning, the you know, the top offensive line unit, you know, in the entire country adds a little bit, you know, motivation on our side to say, hey, man, as a defensive front, even though we have individuals that have been awarded, they have a whole unit. So now we have to play together collectively to be able to, to compete with that unit. We, it's not an individual game. So I think the playing field is pretty even, man, when it comes to who's the underdogs, who should win this game. Uh, I, I don't think any of that is going to play a factor in, you know, determining, you know, how teams come out and approach it in any way. Hey, Rashad, I'll let you go on this. How much changes offensively? And I was talking to John Parker about this uh, earlier. How much mm-hmm. changes offensively with, say, Tua or Jalen as opposed to Tua or vice versa? Because it just seems as if they're both capable of running that offense. And I was impressed with the way Jalen threw the ball in the SEC championship game and how he has this year. Yeah, man, I think, you know, competition brings out the best in you. Um, and I think, you know, Tua playing the way that he played, winning the starting job, and being the guy that he's been all year, you know, forced Jalen to to really have to, you know, look in the mirror and begin to work his craft even more, like force himself to, hey, you know, I got to stay in the pocket at practice. I got to work my craft a little bit more. And I mean, he's grown. Iron shopping's iron, man. And he's gotten so much better this season um, as a passer. You, every time you see him come in the game, late in games, third quarter, when he gets his opportunity, he's not looking to run first. Just like you said in the Georgia game, I mean, he did a great job of coming in still keeping his eyes down the field. Um, And I don't think the offense changes too much at all. I mean, Mike Loxley has done a great job, you know, using all the weapons that we have, man. These guys are are fortunate, man. They can can throw it to, you know, any guy out there and they can make a play with it and they can hand it off to guys as well. So the offense doesn't change too much um, with those two guys, you know, in one way or another. I mean, but it it does sprinkle in when when they're both healthy, and now we can play them both at the same time. Now it brings another wrinkle to the game that hopefully we'll be able to have on the 29th. Rashad, this was awesome, man. I know you were busy yesterday, but I really appreciate you finding time, and I can't wait to meet you in Miami. Enjoy your family, bud. Anytime, man. Thanks a lot, Chris. I see you, Rashad. This has been Crimson Conversations, presented by Academy Sports and Outdoors. The right stuff, the right price. Academy, the Orange Bowl. Tune in December 29th on the Crimson Tide Sports Network and on the Sooner Sports Network. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation.